Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members. Hey, you want to join Toolbox for half price? Act now. For this week only, use code EPISODE157 and save $100 on this amazing community. A one-year membership will only cost you $100. Act now. This week on September 15th from 9 a.m. until 5.30 p.m., Scope Now will host a live OSINT training. And you won't believe this amazing lineup. It's available to you free. Just visit scopenow.com forward slash OSINT dash live. Links in the show notes. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Today we bring you the next installment for this year's Osmosis Conference in St. Pete, Florida from October 16th through the 18th. This episode, we welcome Peter Warmka, Cara Gallis, and Allison Sullivan. Peter's talking about the deep fakes and AI. Cara discusses foreign language and OSIN, and Allison will be on an OSIN expert panel discussing trends and threats. So please welcome our first guest, Peter Warmka, and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome everyone to the next segment of PI Perspectives, the Osmosis version. Uh, today I have a new guest, somebody who I've never met before and I've never actually talked to you before, so I'm pretty excited. Um, Peter Warmka, welcome to the episode. How are you? Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to meet you and it's a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak to your audience. Yeah, so you're going to be talking at Osmosis this year. It's actually the first Osmosis you'll be attending, so you are in for a treat, sir. <laughs> I'm looking so much forward to it because I've wanted to attend in the past. I haven't had the opportunity because of other conflicts, but... Uh, I've heard so many great things about it through other people who have attended, and I'm just so pl pleased to have the opportunity to both attend, but even the honor of being able to present during the conference. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to actually checking out your uh, your topic because it's, it's very timely uh, these days. So before we jump into the topic, tell me a little bit about your background. Well, okay. Um, in my pre I say my previous life, but it's my previous career. I served... Uh, for over 23 years with the Central Intelligence Agency. Out of those 23, I spent 20 years overseas as an intelligence collector, meaning that I would get requirements from Langley, from our headquarters for information that was publicly, but that was that was uh, closely held, difficult to obtain, non-public you know, intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I would have to find out where that information was going to be, where it was held, what organizations and where within the organizations, and more importantly, identify the individuals, the insiders in these organizations who I could target. So spot, assess, develop these insiders and eventually manipulate them uh, to provide that information or to facilitate access to that information. So I turned them into insider threats, I guess right. is another way to look at it. So right. I did that for that specifically for over 20 years oh, wow. uh, until I retired and decided to see how I might use these skills in the private sector. Right. How, what was that transition like? What were some of the challenges? Well, you always hear from people that that, challenge, that transfer from the public sector to the private sector. It's different. It's a different mindset. I think probably the most difficult one, believe it or not, is the marketing because when you're a government <laughs> bureaucrat, you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to worry about marketing yourself, right? right? 
Yeah. Uh, you might have other skills. You might have, be a manager, you know, you know, manage resources and everything, but no one does marketing. You don't well, have I, to. So that's I think one, of the, challenge. one of the challenges too, is like not having that analyst working for you. Right. It's like, you are the analyst now, buddy. <laughs> like, it's true, but I actually did a lot of, I mean, a lot of the analytical work I, I did on my own, especially when I was uh, targeting organizations and even, targeting individuals. So I, I got a lot of that of my own experience in doing that, fortunately. So other than the marketing, what do you think is the biggest like surprise? Like, Oh, I didn't expect that um, going into the private field. I thought things would be a little bit easier, to be honest with you. I thought that, you know, there, I have specialized skills as you can uh, appreciate where I come from. Yeah, and I just thought that automatically there would be, you know, I got interest in understanding of the skills, but I think a lot of times there's that, being able to translate, yeah. you know, what the skills that I had and how they can be utilized in the private sector uh, is a is, is is a particular challenge. I mean, there's some people in my from my career also that cannot divulge at all. Right, they've ever worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. I was fortunate, right time, right place, mm-hmm. and I was able to come out and I got authorization right. from the agency to what we call lower the cover, right. Um, but a lot of colleagues of mine have not been able to do that. And so yeah. when you're out there trying to market yourself, you can't say you right. were, you know, working for the CIA. So that can be a, a huge challenge for you. So yeah, they're just, you know, professional garbage people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an international garbage person. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny, like uh, on one of my shows, actually, I, I had uh, interviewed somebody who um, was working for the agency and that was one of the biggest concerns she had starting off, you know, even even to, to the point of like posting her photo, you know, she was like concerned about it. Like, do I do it? Do I not do it? Like, you know, that, that whole thing of like, I'm not sure how to approach that. And fast forward a year later, I just saw her recently at a conference in, in, in um, Texas and she's speaking at the conference, right? <laughs> she's all over the place and like, you know, putting her stuff out there. I was like, there you go, girlfriend. Like, you, you understand where you need to be and, and, and what's well, there's what? two ways. I mean, either you don't do anything because maybe you just want to retire and have nothing to do with your previous career or, sure. you know, uh, yeah. or you maintain your status as being undercover and yet you can maybe find projects or work where you don't want your, I mean, a lot of security professionals or investigators, they won't put their face out there in social yeah. media because they don't want to be recognized. Right? No, I've seen that. Yeah. So, you know, you might still have a really low profile and protect your profile because of that type of work. Or, you know, you get out there like my, myself and, and a few others who, who want to get out there, who want to get, you know, get known and to be able to talk about specifically the things that we've done with certain credibility. Sure. So that, you know, otherwise people say, well, who is this person? Never heard of him before. And, and we see him, we see an image, a silhouette of him. We have never seen his picture. Right. So here, here's the interesting segue here. So we're talking about images and, and what you look like and everything like that. Let's talk about deep fakes because that's what you're going to be talking about here. So this area is huge. And the reason why I've decided to to dive into this is because what I've really focused, what I've had focused on and regarding my area of specialization and helping organizations to understand, you know, how do threat actors you know, target organizations to breach their security, to breach, you know, for these data, for these data breaches, right? You have criminal groups, you have, right. you have uh, state-sponsored right. um, intelligence services. You have- And testing, right? How, how they get there, right? So, you know, they're, they're using a lot of the same methodologies that I use when I was out there doing this for CIA. So I, I've worked with organizations to help them understand that through human hacking, through social engineering. Mm-hmm. Deepfakes takes social engineering 
human hacking to a totally new level of sophistication and makes it so dangerous that people are already so susceptible to this basic social engineering. And now when we add deep fakes to it, it's incredible. And I think we can, as fair, what we need to say though, is that deep fake technology in itself is nothing, is not bad. It's not inherently evil. It's the intent right. of the user. <laughs> Malicious intent. You, yes. you know, so there's a lot of tremendously good applications, great applications for deep fake technology. And I'm going to you know briefly share those during the, during the session, but then I want to go in and, and those are, Benefits where individuals know defect technology is being utilized for this. The right. danger is when defect te defect technology is utilized without the individuals knowing. You know, it's utilized for deception. Right. And there's a number of different. There's a lot of different concerns for deception. But for me, the one of the biggest is going to be uh, utilizing it for for you've heard of B BEC scams. Mm -hmm. they, they're called business email compromise, but it's also done via the telephone. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like the name is, is kind of limited, but it's overtaken ransomware as the most costly type of, of cyber crime that organizations face today. And, you know, we, we, another term we use in the industry is it's, it's when a social engineer is vishing to yeah. be someone, they're calling them up, pretending to be whoever they want to be, you know, uh, impersonating the boss, impersonating the client, impersonating, you know, another coworker located in another office space somewhere. And traditionally with vishing, they would, you know, could use spoof calling. You, sp you spoof the caller ID number. So the person on the other end, they see the call coming in. Oh, I recognize that number. I automatically trust that it's coming from this individual. Now with the fix, you know, there's, there's different levels of deep fakes. A lot of people may think of those videos that are faked showing a celebrity all of a sudden saying some ridiculous things or, or you know, I mean, the, or, you see or, the Tom Cruise. Or look, the, the president, no, the president of Ukraine, right? They had something recently yes. where it looks like he's doing blow. He's like doing cocaine and like yeah, and uh, yeah. together. So those type of deep fakes typically take several days to yeah. actually, you know, produce. They're not, you know, but over time, you know, eventually they're going to be, maybe they'll become instantaneous eventually, but not yet. Right. But the danger is deep fake audio or voice cloning is something that's practically, I mean, it's practically instantaneous today. Yeah. So with vishing, think about it. You receive a telephone call, you see the, the number and you, you trust that's the person and then you answer it and it's the voice of that person. Right. And um, there, I mean, there's been some deep fakes have only been around since 2017, but this is evolving so quickly and there has been some major uh, business email compromise scams that have taken place one that that uh, is, is pretty well known by people that have followed this is a particular in 2020 a bank manager in hong kong received a telephone call from who he thought was a client in the uae he saw the caller id was from him the voice was his and they requested 35 million dollars transfer to cover various acquisitions now to me that seems like a lot to go on by a phone call right but in any case he really believed it was him there was also some emails that were fabricated, substan that's substantiating the particular uh, transaction. I mean, uh, emails between the supposedly the client and the attorneys showing that they were going to make these acquisitions. The transfer was made. You imagine the surprise of the UAE client that when he saw the money was gone from the account, uh, it, it became a, a big investigation by the UAE authorities, international investigation. Out of the 35 million, I'm not sure how many was how much was recovered. Very little, but at least four hundred thousand dollars was 
uh, found in a in a bank, Centennial Bank in the United States, and so that was recovered. But I mean, you hear about a few of these. But most of the organizations don't want it to come out that they've been a target. They've been successfully Some targeted action. by by these deep fakes, but they're happening. Yeah. Maybe some of them are on a smaller scale than the thirty-five million, but right. they're becoming more and more commonplace, and it's only going to get only going to continue to get worse. Yeah, you know, I I hear this and I immediately start thinking about Tom Cruise, like Mission Impossible. You know, like you know where he had the you know, pull off the mask and it's yeah. really Tom Cruise. You know, but now you got to like a deep fake Tom Cruise guy, which is I know, crazy, and, and, right? And, yeah. <laughs> On TikTok, there, I mean, it's amazing. It's, He's it's, awesome, it's, that guy too. I'm, I'm addicted to watching that guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, what do you hope that people that that attend your class? What, what do you hope that they walk away with? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be several that are somewhat familiar with deepfakes, or at least I've heard of them, but probably don't have a really good understanding of, you know, the, the evolution and where where and how are they being utilized now and, and, and where are we going to, kind of like the different applications. And, how you know, trying to understand not only that this is really a serious problem going forward, but then how do we mitigate this? I mean, what are some of, what are some of the things that need to be done Right. to help better understand these data fakes, how to better regulate this. Okay, some of these things are outside of our hands. You know, this is in government. Sure. Uh, but more importantly than for individuals who are working in, you know, for organizations, how do they, how might they recognize the deep fakes? And I'm going to share with the audience some tools that are available today, free right. of charge, where you can, you know, upload or a video or the URL to the video. And, and it's going to give you an indication about whether or not uh, it's, it's a deep fake. Right. And, but tell, then more tell them to turn sideways, right? That's, that's, that's the latest thing, right? Just turn, turn to the side, please. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that's out there. It's already, it's already too late. I mean, yeah, talk right. about it's like, the money's like, already gone, man. Biometrics, they rely upon uh, liveness testing and yeah. it's already, I mean, we're already past and the stuff that the people are talking about. It's already too late. Right. I think uh, I want to share, uh, some ideas regarding verification internally within organizations. If you receive, you know, uh, instructions from somebody via a certain channel of communication, how can you verify that that's actually authentic? Yeah. And then uh, talk about uh, authentication, you know, multi-authentication uh, domains. It's, security is never convenient, but I think then there's no foolproof. None of these authentication measures are 100% foolproof. But if we do them in combination and greatly in enhances our ability to make it very difficult for a criminal to get, get through all these different uh, channels. So sure. I'm going to share some of, some of those things. And I think also from, uh, you know, my understanding, there's a lot of individuals uh, who attend uh, this conference who are investigators, right? Mm -hmm. Do open source investigations. So another factor I want to talk about is now how do they procure evidence or how do they treat evidence? Because evidence, you know, may also become defect yeah. so how do we deal with this challenge of it's a fair this, question is, right going is forward this evidence real or not real or how might it be perceived or treated inside right. of a courtroom sure. right how do i even know you're peter prove it I know. exactly i mean <laughs> there's so there's gonna have to be you? some means of also utilizing i don't know if you want to call it like with videos like a watermark i mean yeah. that's not really being done yet but yeah. uh it's kind of like want to broaden the this the awareness for the audience regarding these topics and and really keep abreast and try to keep up with the evolution of these things because it's you know a matter of a few months you have a tremendous amount of things that are that can so so let's let's touch on that a little bit and we're going to wind down just a sec um sure 
the uh, the future here, the next year, like what do you what would you like to see in this vertical happen? Well, first of all, in this vertical, I'm hoping that we will see a lot more interest in this topic and a lot more information that's actually shared and published. I've I subscribe to you know you can subscribe to these different uh, channels of of uh, publications or articles uh, regarding the topic you're interested in, right? And I subscribed to one recently regarding deep fakes. There's a few articles there, but there's not very many. You know, there's not that much information that's out there. And even the stuff that's out there, it's very superficial. I, I think we need to, first of all, be able to get a lot more information regarding deep fakes and the threats of deep fakes. Sure. Uh, so creating that awareness, right? That's the very first step is creating that awareness. And then, because if we don't have that awareness, Anything that we can suggest as far as verification methods or authentication, uh, you know, multi-authentication, it's not going to work because people are not going to understand. You got to understand the threat before you can apply yeah. uh, procedures to help, you know, deal with the threat. Mm -hmm. I, I think the first step is going to be creating more of an awareness in, yeah. in the next few months. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, you know, frontline stuff. All the, the buzzwords are starting to catch. And I think as we all you know, dig deeper and deeper into the metaverse. And as we're creating our avatars and living our life online, as opposed to, you know, being a real human being, you're going to see more and more of this, um, you know, being done and more, uh, it, be, it being, I guess, scrutinized a little more, uh, you know, just to, you know, a watermark or whatever to see, uh, to make sure that, that there's, it's authentic. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, it's definitely something to be concerned of. I'm excited to, to learn more about this. And that's what I love about osmosis. Like everyone just comes together folks from different types of industry, you know, that have different expertise. And it, it's not just the teaching, it's the relationship, it's the hangout. It's the, Hey, this is what you, what you used to do. Let me tell you, you know, what I used to do. Um, and then, Hey, did you ever come across this problem? How'd you solve that problem? What'd you do when you got there on this? Like, Oh, did you hear about this thing or this tool or this resource that's out there? That's one of the beautiful things about osmosis. And then even like the sponsors, I mean, it's like your head just, when <laughs> you go start talking to these guys, you know, like what they do and, and what they're bringing to, uh, to the table here. So, um, so folks, uh, Peter is actually on the online community. Uh, if you've signed up for Osmosis uh, virtually or live, you have access to the um, to the online community, and, and you send a request and uh, ask your questions and and get a jump on everything. So, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and and talk. I look forward to to meeting you in a couple of weeks and uh, you know uh, shaking your hand and and hearing more about uh, your expertise. So, thank you. Thank you, Matt, very much. It's been a pleasure meeting you virtually, and I do look forward to meeting you in person. I look very much forward to attending the event. Thank you. Okay. Okay, everybody sit tight. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the next segment. Thanks. You guys have been hearing uh, for a long time about how much I love Crosstrax, but now you're going to hear from somebody else. So we got George Gerges here. George is a member and user of Crosstrax. George, tell me real quickly what you love about Crosstrax. The simplicity of using it and the ability to customize everything that you could do with Crosstrax is awesome. It actually allowed me to take the way that I do my business and implement it into their system and not only am i able to manage 10 or 15 cases i'm able to manage 50 to 100 cases with the same effort fantastic so cross tracks um, the case management system they are SOC 2 certified basically that's an encryption really an upgrade they're the only ones out there that are doing it so please support this great sponsor that supports our show uh, check them out the links are in the show notes cross tracks if you're an investigator you should be using them today it's time to bundle discounts with the investigator education consultants. 
Bundles are available on the fundamentals of the profession, gumshoe talent, putting it all together, hard time crime, and pocketbook crime. If you purchase any of these combinations, you'll receive a 10% discount by using the code BUNDLE, B-U-N-D-L-E. Visit the website at investigationeducation.com. That's investigationeducation.com. Our next guest is Cara Gallus. Cara is a founder and partner of the Achille Group. She is a social media exploitation and threat analyst. We're talking about how foreign language affects OSIN. So please welcome Cara to our next segment. Cara, I want to welcome you to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, so you've got an interesting topic. It's not really super techie, but it's super important. It is. I'm a targeter by background. And so one of the things that always was really important was to be able to prove my case, whether I was in, you know, the private sector or the public sector, somebody has to be able to be, have confidence and make decisions on what you're doing. And, and oftentimes we're researching in languages that aren't, we don't really speak, whether that's you're investigating gangs, or maybe you are um, investigating human trafficking, or perhaps you're doing work overseas on, on vetting um, potential partners for one of your clients. Right. Um, that often involves having a different language set, um, something that you probably don't speak all the time. And so by using and documenting that language set, one of the things I want to do is help you um, go through, um, document the language set, and also find some selectors that you can use to further your your um, OSINT research. Right. So for those who aren't in the know or don't really understand what a targeter is, what 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 is that? Can you break that down for me? So basically a targeter is an analyst who has to go and gain information or or help find an appropriate access point for information, access to a building, access to a person or a company. So basically you're doing um, research and vetting, if you will, um, potential candidates. Okay, um, that, that's great, that's super interesting. I'm not in the military, so I don't really understand those terminologies. So thanks for breaking that down. Do you speak any other languages? I do. I speak Spanish and, and of course, English, but um, my Spanish is a bit rusty. It's been several years since I've really had to use it in depth. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what um, led you to get in to do this work? What was the passion behind it? Well, originally I was working um, both, I've worked in both private and public sector, about 10 years in the public sector and about 15 years now in the private sector. And when I first started, I was using social media uh, in the public sector to kind of help make videos or campaign videos or um, kind of use social media and those sort of tools. And I quickly realized that all the people who were trying to use it didn't understand the value of the information that was behind it. Right. So it, my job quickly turned from helping them discover measures of effectiveness and some of that information that was going along with making um, videos or social media posts to really pulling out the information in there that helps exploit or understand more about the target audience or whether their videos were being effective or kind of the metadata behind it. Sure. And so as that went on, I, I started helping some of my colleagues understand that, hey, not only are you putting this stuff out, you can also be taking the information that you have back and start using that in in ways to help target or or refine your messages or sure. even help find somebody new who might be able to to put your messages out for you yeah and it's essentially just solving a, a problem right it doesn't have That's to be a, a big uh 
you know, clandestine, clandestine operation. It's just like, here's the issue, here's the target. You know, we need somebody to really focus in on uh, achieving the goal, right? Essentially, right? Right, exactly. Okay. And, you know, language is part of that because whether you're using the information that you're gathering as evidence or you're going to use it to collect intelligence, for example, or have a have a have an individual make a decision, mm-hmm. you still have to be able to explain that, you know, the bomb is always the classic example everybody gets. That can mean different things in different contexts. And so you have to be able to translate what that means to the yeah. person using your in, your investigation right. and your information that you've collected into something that they can make a sound decision on or or defend in court. Yeah, and then you can just add emojis into the whole equation as well. <laughs> that's oh, yeah. something you got to yeah. consider, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so just amping it up a notch. Um, how would you say that, that dialects uh, of different languages affect? I mean, that's something I, I would guess you'd have to really pay attention and understand the dialect of, of what you're trying to decipher here, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, documenting it is is half the battle. But but understanding the dialects, you know, I find by writing down kind of words that people are using as a, in a similar context is something I would use them in right. is a way to really kind of start to make that thesaurus or dictionary that you're going to put together for your appendixes and the like. But I mean, think about the United States for just a second. If you're in the U.S., our English, whether you're in Wisconsin or Montana or Virginia or the South or, you know, any any sort of places, they they differ in words there, too. So same with uh, English and UK English. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the dialect makes a huge difference. Sure, sure. Yeah. English stinks. It's the worst language out there. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult. You're so problematic. <laughs> so, um this is all really, really fascinating stuff to me because you really, you're now taking it essentially out of the computer. You know, Osmos has always been, you know, technology driven and this and that, but this is like, you know, this is a skill that's required. It's kind of part of the the equation that people don't think about, which I think is really neat. Um, yeah. And it, it's hard to make language really sexy when you're really like investigating and you're going into osmosis and you're like, I'm doing OSINT. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that actually I get really excited when I use some of those words that I found or like a foreign language word. And I I couldn't write it in some cases. So if you're talking Chinese, I can't write Chinese. But, you know, to start searching in Chinese and then you're finding the information that you need, you, you get so excited. And I just want somebody else to feel that moment of like elation when you find the piece of the data you needed, but it's in a different language that you had no idea. What's your opinion on the reliability of like Google Translator and all these tools now that are coming out that we get to use this stuff? Well, one of the things that I'll talk about at Osmosis that I'm really excited about talking about is, um, you know, these translation tools have come a long way, but they're still they're still not there. And I'll talk a little bit about how what the translations tools do and how we should kind of evaluate their their um, their validity, so to speak, um, on your investigation. Right. But um, you know, there will never be a replacement, at least not in the next five years, I believe, of an analyst who can look at this and kind of triage that information. So when we're looking at different languages, we're, and especially foreign languages that someone else can speak really well, we're looking at triaging the information so that we can go back and either either be confident in what we, we found because we can va- validate it several times across time and space, Right. Or we can, or we can take that to say a 
a linguist or a translator and they can help us like validate what they say what they're saying there and really get the ground truth but for the most part i think um especially things like google translate has become pretty effective but again by putting those words in context and kind of getting getting kind of the the feel of what was around those words um well is really where the sweet spot is and why why the analyst is always going to be a big part of of the investigation even if it these translators are are translating pages across the board yeah i mean i can i can see how you would always want to have that human element in there uh, and just not you know relying 100 percent on artificial intelligence um you know because they're because of the these things that you're talking about right? they're just these little nuances that you got to be able to pick up on it so you know once the computers learn that we're all in in, in terminator we're done <laughs> you know like uh, sky not really we're still us. gonna have to run the computer Skynet's going to come get us um, <laughs> so what do you um what do you want the folks that are taking your, your your class what do you want them to walk away with i want them to walk away with great practices and and kind of a, a methodology that they can use to help be more confident when they deliver um, their investigations to whoever the end user might be, mm-hmm. um, whether it's court or business or or the government of some sort. Um, I also want them to walk away understanding that this isn't just about a foreign language, like meaning English and Spanish. This is more about really documenting and understanding who your who your investigation target is, and and how they speak and what their vernacular is, because as I found as I've gone along um, through this process, um, and I've done investigations in in probably, I don't know, probably 25 languages at this point. Wow. Um, one of the things that you start to find is as you do this, you become more comfortable and it applies to any sort of language that you're looking at. But you also start to build, especially if you're in a, a subject matter um, that you're investigating all the time, maybe it's weapons, you start to see what those, what those long-term words are across multiple languages and that really gives you kind of the power of of um, understanding where you're going to find your next lead yeah. so to yeah. speak that's well, it, it's important i think when you're talking about like social engineering and, and building rapport and things like that like th- this is all part of the puzzle you got to be able to do that um so where do you see or what would you like to see in the next year or so within this vertical of what we do uh, as far as advancements go that's a tough question. I want to continue to see the technology evolve. I want to continue to see more focus on better documentation. Um, I want to continue to see kind of more of a professionalization and an understanding of um, different places that you can go for information and kind of a creativity um, from the analyst side on solving these problems as well. Yeah, it seems to be an ongoing theme this year from the folks that I've interviewed, you know, just having that, that oversight, um, and, and community, you know, and continue mm-hmm. to build on that, which I think is really interesting. So, um, okay. So we'll be at osmosis, uh, and I'm looking forward to actually seeing this class I, again. I, I think it's so interesting because it's, it's not the, you know, have the computer in front of you and go to this and do that. You know, there, there's, there's some real training involved here and, and, and just hard skills, right. Which is really, really cool. So, Okay, so folks, go check out Osmosis. Uh, it, it's in October, and uh, you can just Google Osmosis Con 22, and you'll get all the information. Car, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, everybody, sit tight for the next uh, segment. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.
Are you a member of NCISS? Do you know what this great organization does? The National Council of Investigation and Security Services was formed in 1975 to keep a watchful eye on legislation that affects our industry. Now more than ever, there are data privacy and DMV issues popping up all over the country. Consider joining and supporting this much-needed watchdog for our industry. Learn more at NCISS.org. Looking for an insurance agent that puts you first? Every PI business is different. That's why OREP Insurance can shop multiple markets to ensure you get the best coverage to meet your unique business needs. OREP's model is business by the golden rule, and for over 20 years, they've built their business by putting their clients first. So come enjoy a fast online application and same-day certificates of insurance at OREP.org. OREP has coverage for armed investigators, executive protection, and even has a separate policy for security firms. The application takes less than five minutes, so visit OREP.org today. OREP.org. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine available online or by hard copy. It's time to jump into our last segment of this episode. Allison Sullivan will join a panel of OSINT experts and talk about trends and threats in OSINT. So please welcome Allison Sullivan to our last segment. Welcome to PI Perspectives, the osmosis version. Uh, this is Matt Sperry, your host. Today, our next guest is Allison Sullivan. Allison, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Matt. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for jumping on and uh, talking about your topic. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you do, who you work for, and uh, what you'll be talking about. Sure. So um, I am leading the team of analysts here at Cobwebs Technology. We are a global open source web intelligence company, mm -hmm. uh, helping everyone sort through all of the data that is publicly available out in the open, the dark, and the deep web. Um, my passion is working with our law enforcement customers. Um, I've been with the company for nearly four years, but prior to that, I was an Intel analyst for 17. Yeah. Uh, I started, yeah, I started my career in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the local PD, spent a couple of years back home in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey Transit PD, and then the last 12 of my career with East Orange, New Jersey oh. Police Department. So well, there, uh, there's the Hetherington uh, hook right there. <laughs> you had her at New Jersey. <laughs> absolutely. A Jersey girl at heart. Yeah. Born and raised. I left for a few years to be in Boston and Cambridge, but I had to come home. Oh, there you go. That's cool. I'm, I'm Jersey too. I'm Bergen County. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're all cousins. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Um, so, uh, I mean, Coplebs has, has been a sponsor for a few years um, and you've Someone from Combos actually has spoken at the conference uh, before. This year, we're doing something different, right? It's more of like a, an OSINT panel. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So one of the sessions that we got invited to participate on was the um, panel on our last day here. And, um, you know, we did a panel once before with the Heatherington Group. Mm -hmm. uh, we hosted the panel. It was a virtual one event as well, kind of talking about um, the role that OSINT plays in security events. Uh, such as Super Bowls or concerts, and how leveraging open sources can really help you not only um, have a little bit more education on what to expect at the event, whether or not it's um, you know politically involved, or whether it's just enjoyment like music, or if there's any opposing crowds, right. um, and not only you know pre preventatively or, or pre-event, but also during the event or even post in terms of 
um, brand management and reputation online. So what we'll be talking about is really um, everyone's view from the world of OSINT from about 5,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how we see it working uh, with everyone's day-to-day -day obligations, whether it be in the public or private sector, um, how we can leverage those resources available to better our jobs and responsibilities, and really learning from each other. I think yeah. that's the best thing that we can do. Not, not one person knows it all. So seeing how someone else is leveraging OSIN tools um, can definitely be a help for everybody. Sure. What are the trends that you've seen in the past year or two that uh, seem to be gaining, gaining steam? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if I want to call it a trend, but something to keep up on are the new platforms. Okay. Um, I feel like every day there's a new platform available. Um, I think we were talking about Yik Yak yesterday, and I know that that's not a new one, but it's not necessarily a mainstream one that possibly the media would focus on. Mm. Um, you know, with some of the critical incidents that happen in our country, we get exposure to different platforms. Um, but this one being a new one that our our company and our team are looking at in terms of what can get um, filtered through in terms of an open source perspective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, trending, everybody is on social media, on forums, on blogs. It's been that way for a while and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Sure. So it's really our responsibility to um, stay up to the pulse and see what's coming up next and what we need to educate ourselves on in terms of how people are using these platforms and how the platforms are almost you know, using their customers. Um, right. Are they protecting them, their customers? Are they anonymous forums? Are there things that we can extract in terms of a public safety point of view? Yeah. Um, really educating yourself in these platforms is gonna really help you out with your daily duties. No, oh, that's fascinating. I mean, I guess everything's for sale. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you never We're know. We're all here for corporate America. We're all here, you know, there's targeting ad and ads out there. Yeah. And it's, you know, you think you're, you're scrolling through one site and now you're getting the advertisement for that same exact item that you're looking for. Um, we are walking money makers for uh commercial. Somewhere Zuckerberg's hiding in a corner laughing <laughs> <laughs> maniacally. <right? Wow. laughs> it's all good stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's sad, but true. You know? Yeah. yeah. So what do you, uh, what do you hope the folks that are attending the, the panel, what do you hope they're walking away with? You know, I hope that they're walking away of looking at a, looking at things in a different perspective. Um, you know, I don't think um, a lot of people in my field in terms of law enforcement really realize that they're using open source um, sources, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Um, once you Google something, you're performing an open source action. Uh, so I hope that people walk away from our panel and our discussion looking at things from a different perspective in different perspective in terms of how you operate at home can also be leveraged over to your professional side of the house. Sure. Meaning that if you're monitoring your children's social media activity, if you're monitoring their browsing history, things like that can definitely be applied to your daily activities. Some people don't necessarily marry the two. Yeah. And we think that we kind of live in, in verticals or certain sectors. Uh, you know, pre-work day, post-work day, but they all intertwine. And our job, um, you know, is to really make the community a safer one, not only in reality, but also virtually. Yeah. So we're protecting our children at home, but we want to bring that over into our workspace as well. So I'm really hoping that uh, not only the panel members, but also our audience members and uh, attendees 
really walk away with something like that. And it may be the opposite. Maybe it's something they're doing on a daily basis that they can now bring home in order to better protect their families. So yeah. it goes both ways, but that's what I'm really hoping to, to walk away from that with. Well, that's a very novel idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll support that one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the hashtag Ocean for good. I mean, yeah. there's plenty of ways to use it. Not only, sure you know, using it in terms of victim recovery or human trafficking cases and things like that, or national events coming up and you want to protect the safety of your attendees, but right. little ones at home are just as important. Yeah. I mean, net nanny can only do so much, right? <laughs> Either that or she needs pay raise. That's yeah. the there you go. <laughs> um, so what, what do you want to see happen in the next year or two in this industry? Oh, geez. I think education, I think education in terms of what is really being shared on these sites. Um, you know, I follow a lot of OSIN for Good groups on LinkedIn and on other social media platforms and seeing the, what they are doing with open source technologies or open source platforms are ways that I would have never thought about it. Yeah. Um, you know, some speaking about children at home, you know, they're so vulnerable to potentially becoming victims and we don't know it. Uh, some of us don't know it and know the means. Mm -hmm. um, having the education end, not only in terms of children becoming vulnerable, but also for parents and educators to really share that knowledge. Um, you know, for example, if uh, Snapchat is one of the largest, and I say if, you know, if it's a, I know that it's a largely used platform in, in terms of learning children or learning potential victims, uh, really educating people on how those predators are doing that. Um, yeah. You can tell I'm coming from that OSINT for good space. Um, you know, one of the missions here at Cobwebs Technologies is really helping the fight against human trafficking. And that's where we really, you know, um, really pride ourselves on using our OSINT for good. And yeah. so I'm really, um, I'm a really big proponent on that education uh, theme in terms of not only end users, but, you know, parents, uh, professionals, um, in all scopes of, um, you know, your day-to-day -day activities. Yeah. It's been pretty impressive to see how cobwebs has grown in the last few years, you know, cause yeah. you know, they, they've been uh, supporters of, of, um, osmosis and, and, uh, usually they have a booth there, you know, and, and just checking out and seeing the, the new stuff that they're doing and, and uh, leading the way, which is pretty neat. Um, okay. So, yeah. uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to wind down here. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, just giving a little snippet of uh, what you'll be talking about. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person and awesome. uh, we're, we're getting closer and closer here, which is great. Um, so folks, if you haven't signed up yet, please go check out uh, osmosis.com uh, and you can get all the information on there and uh, hopefully we'll see you in tampa i know i'll be there it'll be really great so thanks everyone for checking this episode out i think we have one more uh, osmosis feature right uh, coming up in a few weeks uh but this was great i appreciate everyone tuning in uh allison thank you so much thank you matt we'll talk to you guys soon take care the countdown to St. Pete and Osmosis 2022 is on. Make sure you check all the details for Osmosis at osmosiscon.com. Thanks also to Crosstrack, ScopeNow, Investigator Education Consultants, OREP, and NCISS for sponsoring the show. So please support these great supporters. And don't forget to join ScopeNow's great event on September 15th from 9 a.m. through 5.30 p.m. online. Learn more at scopenow.com slash osin-live. Have you thought about joining Investigators Toolbox? Take advantage of the half-price offer that ends at the end of this week. Use code EPISODE157. 
you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show. So make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.